Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the Four Man Rush. Hello, Panther fans, and welcome to another podcast of the Four Man Rush. I'm your host, Timmy Vio, here with three of the four gentlemen. We got Kevin, Will, and Larry. And uh, it's postseason, quote unquote. Um, or we should say higher coaching season because we now have an head coach. Uh, we went to the, to the good old college ranks. If you've been living on the Rock and you're a Panther fan, you haven't heard yet. Um, coach Rule from um, from uh, the old Baylor Bears down in good old Texas has uh, been hired by uh, good old Dave Tepper. And uh, the guy's going to talk about him at length, um, his connections, um, style, um, you know, statistics, all the good stuff, because we uh, we get down like that. Of course, you already know that. That's why you're listening. <laughs> All right. So, um, Kev, we'll start with you, and then we'll hop over to Larry, and we'll hop over to Will, and uh, um, we'll uh, just we'll talk about Coach and how, how he can affect this roster and how the roster hopefully can uh, reflect off of his coaching style. And we'll go from there. Cool? Cool. All right. Kev, drop now as Jones, man. What's up with Coach Rule? Well, with Coach Rule, what we're getting here is, we can say now, the former head coach of the Baylor Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of us who are not familiar, Baylor uh, is in uh, Texas, in Waco, Texas, just south of Dallas. We're talking about a program that was, a few years ago, you know, decimated by you know, sexual assault, sexual harassment incidents that was going on. Nearly got the uh, NCAA death penalty. And for anyone that's aspiring to move up the coaching ranks, that would have been a place to avoid. But Matt Rule, who was at Temple at the time, decided to um, turn down better offers and to take upon this challenge. So right there in itself, we're, we get a man that's not afraid of daunting tasks and to overcome and to reestablish a a culture and, and a winning program. Well, when you look at the 2019 Carolina Panthers, that is definitely a rebuilding project like no other. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we're getting a coach here that is, uh, I think he's like 43 years old, so relatively young, in, you know, NFL standards. I, I guess you say almost middle age, but, you know, 43. Um, he moves around. He took Baylor from his first season in 2017, 1-11, to two years later, which was this past 2019 season, to 11 and three, uh, they played in the uh, the uh, Sugar Bowl against Georgia. Uh, they lost, but um, they took Oklahoma down to the wire both times they played. Um, they lost as well. Uh, those two games to Oklahoma and Georgia, though, their only losses this year um, when they <clears throat> during the season, but. 
Matt Rose has a pedigree that's been known for someone that loves to be innovative, loves to coach, loves to develop his guys. And as we, you know, did our research and information on him, because we all was kind of caught off guard, just a little bit of background information about him. Um, he walked on in 1994 at Penn State as a linebacker. Hmm. And for Carolina Panther fans from day one, as some of y'all like to say, uh, quarterback Kerry Collins was on that 1994 squad that went 12-0, went undefeated. Oh, but if I'm mistaken, I don't think they got a piece of the national championship. Well, I'm not mistaken that year. Tim, you could uh, you can verify that for me if you like. But yeah, but uh, you know he he got a start there. So you're talking about somebody that was at linebacker U, uh, per se, and he just basically you know just worked his way up. He was a guy that would didn't mind coaching um, any position anywhere that he went. You know after he graduated, uh, he was a linebackers coach in 1998 uh, at Albright University. Um, he went to University of Buffalo, was defensive line coach from '99 to 2000. Uh, he went out to UCLA in 2001 as a defensive line coach. Hey, local fact. He came here to Western Carolina in 2002 and was special teams and linebacker coach. Wow. And, yeah, and he stayed at Western Carolina for a little while. He moved up, became associate head coach, and um, and also added running game coordinator along with special teams and linebackers coach. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, he's just a guy that – he prided himself on the love of football to no matter what position was needed, he put himself in a position to not only learn the nuances of the position group, but to make sure that the players in his group were successful as well. So we're just talking about a guy that just loves challenges and loves to overcome and, and, and leave things in a better position than what they left. And I think that the 2019 Carolina Panthers is definitely the type of challenge that suits what his resume can possibly be now. Me, myself, personally, I've already said for the next two seasons, I got minimum expectation of the Carolina Panthers. This is this move is not some something that's going to get us to the playoffs or you know make us title contenders. So you know let's let's keep things realistic. But what I think that this is just the first checkoff of a of the most important offseason in Carolina Panthers history. So we finally got a new face of the franchise from a coaching perspective. He's the fifth coach that the Panthers ever had. And myself personally, he was like my coach 1B pick uh, as far as the Panthers go. Uh, the other one was Eric Enemy. He was my 1A. But, um, you know, it's time to rule, baby. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how he assembles this coaching staff and how the other front office moves coordinate with what he has planned for the Panthers and I'm just excited to see what's going to happen. Awesome. Awesome. Larry. So I'll start off by letting Panther Nation know that I wasn't a big fan of pretty much any of the, the coaching candidates. You know, I looked at the landscape before we fired Ron. I just didn't see that there was going to be, you know, an immediate upgrade. But I do try to find optimism out of everything, especially with this high right here. I think it's a good marriage, a, a really good marriage. You know, if you look at the interview that Tepper just had, he talked about how the guy dresses the same as him. He talked about how they have the same vision. He Tepper said he wants somebody to build this organization right for the next 30 or 40 years. So definitely a franchise builder, definitely a program builder that he got. 
you look at his background as a player and his early coaching career, he was a linebacker and a linebacker's coach. He was a linebacker at the most prestigious university to be a linebacker at. So I think he'll fit right in with Luke Keekley, you know, our franchise linebacker. Mm. So um, I also like the fact that he's well-rounded. You know, he coached a whole bunch of different positions. So it's not like he has a specialty and he'll be weak in other areas. He knows a little bit of everything. And I also like the fact that he has constructive, con- the, the, peep that word, constructive criticism, meaning that he's not afraid to go ahead and let a guy know, listen, you messed up. This is how you got to fix it. He's willing to challenge not just his players, but he's going to challenge his staff as well. And I think that's something that we've been missing. We didn't have anybody to demand accountability in the last few years, and I think that's why we've been mediocre. So I know that you know we're going to get the best effort from him and pretty much anybody around him. So all it's really going to come down to is guys buying into it. You know, We don't have a good track record in the NFL of college coaches actually being successful in the NFL. We just got to hope that we're the anomaly. We, we got to hope that we're the rare occasion where we get a guy that can do this thing right because I know we're tired of mediocrity. We want to be a contender for the next few years and long years to come. So I'll find optimism out of it. I'm just going to be patient because there's really nothing else we can do but be patient with this guy. Yeah, man. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. You guys are making me feel better about this. Will, what's up? Yeah, I think the um, just to get into the coaching search in general, uh, I think my two favorite candidates were Eric Bieniemy out of Kansas City and Matt Rule. I kind of assumed Matt Rule was going to take the Giants job. He's from New York. He's worked for the Giants before. He's worked for Dave Gettleman before. And he had the Giants interview the day after. He had the interview with Tepper and Herney. So I just kind of assumed he was going to use the Panthers for leverage and, you know, to get a better offer from the Giants. But the way it turned out, he he did that. He tried to use the Panthers to, uh, contract to say, ask the Giants, can you match this? And Dave Gettleman said, no, we got our guy, Joe Judge. So Rule said, okay. And it worked out for both sides. Tepper got his man and rules with the Panthers now. I think when people look at head coaching candidates, they, they're they kind of biased towards coordinators based on the success of their offenses. And I think a head coach is a CEO. It's not necessarily a play caller. You can hire mm. good coordinators to work for you to call plays and manage the offense and the defense. The head coach needs to build a culture in the organization, be a leader of men, you know, develop players, teach technique, hire the right people around him to help, you know, establish that culture. I think Matt Rule does all of those things. So I think we got that culture builder now. We're going to let him come in. You know, he likes that. He likes the fact that we are able to start with a clean slate, have a decent amount of cap space, a lot of young, good young pieces to build around. He's going to try to build a sustainable, successful culture here in Carolina. I think one thing that David Tepper really liked about him was his sports science program. No, he really believes in, you know, player nutrition, uh, training, different training uh, regimens and all of these different things to help get the max performance out of his athletes. I think that's the positive. And I think player development is going to be key with him. You know, he his style is to at Baylor. He didn't get the four and five star recruits there. They all go to LSU, Oklahoma, UT and those schools. But at Baylor, he got the two three star guys. So they would focus on looking for you know, uh, measurables, guys with good length, good height that can jump high and run fast. 
They just said, come to our program and play football and then find them positions. So a guy that played receiver in high school, they may find him a fitted cornerback and just develop his technique and turn him into a solid player. And just from that teaching and being able to develop players and establish a culture, help Baylor go from 1-11 and 11 to 11-3 and three within three years with basically the same core of players. So that all these things are what you want to look for in a head coach. I know I know Matt Rule checks all of the boxes. The biggest concern is the lack of profess pro experience, but you know, no pun intended, maybe he's the exception to the rule. I mean, you've seen guys make that successful transition like a Pete Carroll, a Jimmy Johnson, a Tom Coughlin did it. I just think it's a matter of being in the right situation, having the right support system, having the right players in place. I think Tepper's going to give him everything he needs to succeed here in Carolina. So we just got to be patient, let rule, get in, get established, you know, make some big decisions on player contracts this offseason, and let's get the ball rolling. Indeed. I, I, I like the fact that he's a linebacker coach. That makes me feel better. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about linebacker and DB coaches, man. When they get that head coach position, they just – I don't know. They, they, they seem to have – I don't know. I don't know, man. Just, they just have – a better control over the over the situation. It seems it seems like to me. I don't know. I could be wrong. I um, agree with you, Tim. Because one thing you got to do to be a successful linebacker, you got to be tough and you got to be nasty. You know, mm. football is a physical game. So if you don't have those two factors, you're not going to be real successful. I think that's the reason why Ron was so successful because he knows about being tough. He knows about being physical and fundamentally sound. So I'm all for linebacker coaches, just like you are. Right on, man. That's what he preaches. I mean, when he went to the temple, his um, motto was temple tough. You know, and he didn't run no gimmick college offense. He lined up 22 personnel, 12 personnel, ran that power offense, you know, and drove guys off the ball. The way he ran his system was he would select the nine. He set the single-digit jerseys. He set them aside. and He allowed the players to vote on the nine toughest players in the football program. So the guys that got voted the nine toughest players got the single-digit jerseys. So, I mean, I think Temple, I know his fullback was one of the tough players. And if you watch him, I mean, they used that fullback and they pounded the rock and they, you know, they were a power, they gained respect. I think he first came on my radar in 2015 when Temple upset Penn State. It was the first time they beat Penn State since 1941. That's huge. So just his ability to rebuild Temple from a two-win team to a back-to-back 10-win seasons mm. made him a hot commodity. And then he did what he accomplished at uh, Baylor a couple years later. He bought that same you know toughness mentality to Baylor, did the same thing with the single-digit jerseys, and we saw that. But what I respect about him the most is in Temple, what you'll notice about his offense is that it was just a power run pro style offense. But when he went to the Big 12, you know, you got to adjust because you're playing against different teams. Mm. And the guys you're recruiting are playing in these spread systems and RPO systems that, you know, they, they're used to playing in. So he got, he linked up with Chip Kelly, the offensive mind from coach from Oregon. Uh, he was a, I mean, he didn't have much success in the NFL, but nobody will deny he's one of the more innovative offensive minds in college football oh, he was killing over the past Oregon. few years. Yeah. He um, linked up with a lot of local high school coaches throughout Texas, and he learned spread offenses and RPO systems. And the goal was to establish an offense that incorporates both his pro-style power run attack with the spread offense and RPO concepts. And he was able to do that successfully at Baylor. So I just think that shows a willingness to learn and adapt and adjust his offense 
through the changes in the game. And that's one thing you definitely want to see from a coach. Hmm. So, <clears throat> will he keep Norv or Scott or both, Turner? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Kev, you want to want to speak on that? What do you think? Um, I don't think he's going to keep either Scott or Norv. Hmm. Uh, I saw uh, a few days ago that that um, Scott Turner was actually in Washington, D.C., <laughs> interviewing uh, with the Redskins for uh, for a position with them. So I uh, haven't got any updates on that since then. Uh, seems like um, it seems like uh, Rivera's pretty much bringing all his friends <laughs> with him to uh, D.C. Well, not all of them, because he still left Eric Washington and Marty Herney. But um, <laughs> and I think we all know why now. But <laughs> boy, boy, boy. but um, but yeah, I, I just think that with the with the with the schemes and the things that Rule has done, I, I, I he just wants his own guys. He's told him that Tepper told him that he has complete control over uh, over his staff. Um, I think you know Norv and Rivera have been together so long, so many. I think that's just a loyalty there. So um, for me personally, I, I don't see. Uh, any any reason why either of them would stay? Now, would I be bothered if they did? Mm, no, because I think Scott Turner's an up and coming uh, NFL coach of mine. That I think that's he if he's given the opportunity, he could uh, very well become a a uh, well known coordinator and possibly even coach. You know, several years down the line. So, um, but my indications is I, I don't think either one of them will will be on the rule coaching staff is already rumors uh, floating around about the uh, new uh, coordinators coming in. I believe the uh, gentleman uh, snow quarterback coach for the um, Detroit lions has been rumored to be someone that uh, Matt rule is targeting. So, you know, we'll see. It actually, it, we were um, so caught up in the Matt rule news today. Scott did accept the Redskins job as offensive coordinator. Okay, so he's going to be the coordinator. So what about that coordinator? I guess they was kind of excited about the Redskins had, uh, that other guy. Yeah, he's he might join Josh McDaniels. When Josh McDaniels was assembling his staff, that was one of the guys he wanted to bring with him. So they might end up in Cleveland. I don't know what direction they go. But I would imagine Norv would go with Scott and be some kind of consultant with the Redskins at most. They, but uh, they have a nice that's probably the role he'll with. take. But I think the uh, offensive coordinator is going to be a guy named Sean Ryan. He's the offensive – he's the quarterback coach for the Detroit Lions. He was the quarterback coach for the Houston Texans in 17 and 18. So he has experience working with Deshaun Watson. He was a wide receiver coach for the Redskins – for the Giants, rather, when Odell Beckham was a rookie there. So he was a big part in Odell Beckham developing as a rookie wide receiver. And he learned his system from um, Kevin Gilbride from the Giants. He was in the old run-and-shoot offenses with the Houston Oilers and Warren Moon back in the day. So he's kind of found off of that tree, learned from that guy. And he learned from uh, Bill O'Brien on the Texans. So he's a well-rounded offensive coach. You know, the Texans, Bill O'Brien said he's ready to be a play caller now. But he just, that's something just he enjoys doing. Similar to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, those guys just enjoy calling plays and they love the challenge of it so they don't let give their coordinators that responsibility but 
he's an up-and-coming, bright play caller. So I'm excited to see what he has. And I like to, you know, just say that I'm, I'm happy to hear Scott Turner get an opportunity to be offense coordinator um, as a fan of his. And uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I hope that uh, he gets a chance to uh, show what he can do. I think he's going to do well. You know, having the opportunity to catch, um, what's the quarterback of the Redskins? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah the, you know, to kind of get him, you know, from – from scratch to uh, groom and to roll, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to hear Scott Turner is going to be uh, get his chance to be offensive coordinator. That's uh, that's, that's something good to hear. Man, and the the, the uh, defensive coordinator what's what's his what's his background? Well, that's going to be that Phil Snow. I don't know if he's going to be defensive coordinator. The way it was worded in the article was defensive coach. So I don't know if Rule's going to bring him on as a D coordinator, like a linebacker coach. But Phil Snow is a candidate. I'll let one of, I think Larry want to talk about him. Yeah. Larry, please. Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk about him a little bit. So have you been following the trend when it comes to getting these young, innovative offensive minds, head coaching jobs, and stuff like that? They tend to try to to bring in a, a, a groomed, older, more old-school type of coordinator. And if you're looking for that, that's definitely somebody from Rules Tree that fits those fits that bill. Phil Snow, he's been coaching for over 40 years. You know, and he's been one wow. he's been with a, a variety of different position groups, mainly DBs. He also coached some linebackers, and he's been a coordinator for for like a few different programs, Boise State in the 80s. UCLA in 2001 and two, Arizona State in the, in the, the late 90s, Eastern Michigan, Temple, and, of course, Baylor because he's been with Rule for the last few years. So mm. I think that's just more of a, a chemistry thing, a cohesive thing, because he's been with Rule, you know, for the better part of the last seven years. So he's definitely somebody that's knowledgeable. You know, like I said, 40-something different years, a variety of different programs that he's been a part of. I just think that's a good marriage for them to, you know, that's just a, that's just all about cohesion. If you do bring snow in, I don't think there's anybody that can come in and teach him anything. I think he pretty much at this point in his life, he's 64 years old. He's been around the game of football for so long. I just think that rule trusts him. So if you bring somebody as a coordinator, that's more of a, a trust thing. That's somebody that, you know, you're, you know, you're familiar with. That might be the right way to start off. And because, you know, Snow has been coaching in the college ranks. He knows how to develop young guys. So that should be somebody that Dante should be looking forward to working with. I know he's not the the easiest player to work with, but we got a lot of young guys. Brian Burns, Mm -hmm. Haynes. Miller. uh, Miller. We have so many young draft picks on the defensive side of the ball that we're just waiting to be developed and and grow into great players. So he's definitely a good name to have out there because I think he's more than capable of showing those guys how to play the game of football. Love it, man. I, I, yeah, I love enough. It. I'm sorry, go ahead, Tim. No, go, no, no, I'm just saying, I, I, I really love that. Go ahead, Dan. You're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I was saying was, uh, while Larry was speaking, I, you know, you know, Google is our friend. I just decided to type in Phil Snow defensive scheme and came across a uh, uh, a very well-descriptive article um, that came up in the, um, I guess, the Baylor Bears um, 
website is uh, OurDailyBears.com. Mm-hmm. And this article's from 2017. Just looking over, it says the new Baylor defense. Uh, just some highlights of it. It says that um, the base set for Phil Snow defense is going to be a 3-4 defense. Uh, so for those of us that are fans of the hybrid of the 3-4, um, you know, it seems like that with the background between Snow and Rule, this they they both use 30 fronts and 40 fronts. So I think that that possibly could have also been one of the attractions uh, for um, for you no know, Rule being the guy because we've already invested, you know, a high draft pick with Brian Burns and, you know, other guys that fit the uh, fit the hybrid mold. You know, our posters want to, you know, check it out on on all of our uh, social media accounts. Uh, seems like Snow is a matchup. Whatever is the uh, the things that the uh, opponent likes to do, and so that's that's good because we all know under Rivera, you know, we're going to see pretty much that four two five nickel versus <laughs> any why any any set that has more than two receivers. And a lot of times, you know, we had our linebackers trying to cover wide receivers in the slots, and well, we've seen how that. You know, has uh, it seems it, it, he seems to run a fair amount of man with some zone into it, but it seems to be more man. It's just you know, scroll the line is breaking down how each detail article of you of um, the breakdown of the scheme with Phil Snow. So, like uh, like Larry said, whether he's just a defensive coach or a coordinator. Um, He's someone that's uh, that seems to have a grasp on on matching up effectively against uh, personnel. And again, something I shared when we was on IG Live, 2017, first year at Baylor, they went one and eleven. They was giving up 36 points a game. But by two years later, in 2019, this past season, they cut that all the way down to 19. Mm. So, yeah. So, Hey, if the Panthers defense can can get that type of result, I would be ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, I watched some uh, Temple film earlier today as I was preparing for the podcast tonight. I was just amazed at the number of um, pro players he was producing on Temple. I mean, Matt Ioannidis, the Redskins defensive tackle, was on that front. Uh, Hassan Reddick, the Cardinals linebacker. Then you just had some offensive guys, too, as well. But he was... Just so it's a tribute to how Phil Snow and Matt Rule are just able to develop talent. They're taking the kids at these non-power five schools and developing into NFL players. At Baylor, they had a um, solid defensive line, and I think they led the country in pressure rate using only three-man fronts. They had an All-American defensive end. Uh, he might be coming out in the draft this year. Uh, I'm losing the, his name right now. But he um he had twelve and a half I think he had like thirteen and a half sacks. Um, trying to look him up right now. I'll get to it later. But yeah, they had a um All American defensive end in that thirty front. A guy who can play a four or three defensive end. He can also play mm. uh, inside defensive lineman in a three four scheme. So it's a versatile lineman that we might want to look for on day two or day three of the draft. Um, hey, well, so I mean. Yeah, I was going. I was curious. Were you talking about uh, Bravion Roy, the DT that they have? 
it's uh, the defensive end. He's on the All American uh, team. I just it's uh, looking them up right now. While you're looking for him, you might also want to talk about Bravion Roy. He's a, a big space eater. I think he's like 333 pounds, 6'1". He's also entered the draft coming out of Beller. But me and Kev were looking at his numbers early. He had 12 tackles for a loss this year and five and a half sacks. Yeah. So right. there's going to be a lot of talent coming out of Beller that we might want to look into. But also to talk about Snow a little bit more, just look at it like this. He's been coaching since 1976. 40-something years of coaching. And he's never even – I'm sure he – probably had opportunities to come coach the NFL because 40-plus years you've been in college that long, that tells you about the relationship that he has with Matt Rule. They got to be close to get this guy to want to come coach in the pros, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Also, out of his 44 years or whatever coaching, 40 of those years he was strictly hands-on with DBs and being a coordinator, but his specialty is with corners and safeties, man. That's something that we – most certainly need because I think that, you know, our, our the guy that we had the most hopes for was Dante. He just, he ain't been the same since he came into the league. He came from a, you know, DBU where he came in the league is really polished, but you could also see a regression in his fundamentals. So I think a guy like Snow might bring the best out of him. I'm really excited about that, that acquisition. Yeah, the guy I was talking about was actually James Lynch. He's James the defensive Lynch. end. He said okay. he was going to um, come out of college if Matt Rule entered the NFL. So he'll likely be announcing that he's going to enter the draft in the next few days. Hmm. It's just another guy in high school. He wasn't recruited. He was somehow overlooked by all of the Texas schools when he was recruited by USC. But the Texas schools overlooked him, and he's just a great athlete. You know, they tried him at tight end and fullback and all of these different spots. And he finally found a home at defensive end and balled out this year in that 3-3 five three two six defense that they were running you know he had a made all american team and i think he'll be a guy that might rule may want to bring to carolina with him in the draft and that's a need too because kk is getting up there in age and we lack depth at that five technique defensive tackle or defensive end position i think we were trying to play uh three technique defensive tackles guys like gerald mccoy and kk in that role but this guy can actually play that five technique. So that's somebody to look out for. And another thing here, fellas, um, I posted these, this article in our in our chat, so you know you can definitely check it out. Uh, it gave a summary of uh, what it is that makes uh, Rule and Snow's defense successful. And I, I want to read this so our fans can understand the, what potential type of moves we make, whether it's free agency or the draft. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, here are the main things from Rule and Snow's defense. Number one, the safeties have re more responsibilities uh, at free safety. Uh, Rule like, likes to use a fast, ranging player who can attack the ball in the air while also being available as the last line of defense against uh, quarterback draws. Uh, at strong safety, uh, they like a guy who's capable of spinning down in a slot to play man coverage and strong enough to take on blocks and to break up screens. So, you know, when you think about who we currently have right now at Trey Boston and Eric Reed, uh, you know, under Rivera, you know, our safety positions have been interchangeable. You know, either one of them can be, you know, the deep single high, or either one of them can be down in the box. So I don't know that, you know, with this, you know, setup, if we're going to need more of the quote traditional true position safeties or not, but this is just 
one of the things that it said. Uh, number two, it says the rush backer needs to be dynamic. Uh, this is number talking about Brian Burns here. It said this position requires a lot. A guy who can take on blocks and compete on rushing downs, who can get at the quarterback on passing downs, and who can even drop into coverage from time to time. Uh, that sounds like Brian Burns, dynamic pass rusher. Uh, number three, need at least one lockdown cornerback. This is where I think that uh, we could possibly see James Bradbury get resigned. I mean, I don't, I don't want to break the bank for him, but I think we all agree that anywhere between twelve to fourteen million dollars, no more than fourteen max, is what we should invest in him. Uh, I think the max of fourteen would put him in the, at the price range that he's looking for. And if uh, if a Matt Rule defense needs one lockdown cornerback, I, I think we definitely need to uh, James Bradbury, James resigning Bradbury is definitely a priority. And the last thing here describes Luke Keekley all day. Uh, the quote field linebacker, and that's in quotations, needs to be versatile enough to play in the box as a traditional linebacker, but is able to spread out wide to cover whoever is in the slots, such as tight ends and running backs. So. You know, the thing about it, we got the pieces in place. Uh, now, safeties, I don't know. You know, I can let, you know, Will and Larry discuss, you know, more about the uh, Trey Boston, Harry Reid when it comes to this. But uh, these are things that in a Matt Rule, um, Snow defense that have made them successful. So we'll see how that affects, you know, how we go about, you know, adding more talent to this roster. Oh, I lost Larry. Now it seems it seems to me rules going to be uh his his whole staff is has the potential to uh to to uh to show show the show the, the Panther Nation that you know we, we could probably put something together here guys. We have a stud at running back. I now I, I guess we should touch on who you guys think we should pick in the in the first uh first round or first two rounds for that matter. Um not necessarily a, a particular person but um should should we focus on O-line in the trenches? Exclusively, the first two rounds. I think a lot of yes. that's going to depend on what we do in free agency. Herney has and Gettleman and a lot of GMs have a simple philosophy: you fill out your roster in free agency and you draft the best player available in the draft. So mm-hmm. I think, I mean, if Andrew Thomas or a top tier offensive lineman drops to seven, take him. Great home run. Derek Brown falls to seven, take him. Home run. If you know. Offensive run on offensive lineman goes early, and a Jeffrey Simmons falls to number seven, a guy who's probably going to Herney and Matt Rule will love because he'll exceed all of their target athletic measurements. I think that's a guy that they're going to look at as well. So I think, I mean, it's really, I think after free agency, we'll have a better idea of who they target in the draft. But I just think Herney's going to stick with what Herney does his whole career, fill out the roster in free agency, then that way on draft time. He can stick to his board and just take the best players on the board and accumulate talent the best way he can. I think he'll be improved in the later rounds than he has been in prior years because Matt Rule and Phil Snow have a recruiting system that they use where they have minimum athletic measurements. They're going to have minimum targets. They want you to be this fast, this vertical jump, this agility. They want to take the best athletes and mold them to the best way they can. So I think guys like Rashawn Golden that don't meet that athletic measurement testing won't get picked under Matt Rule because he just won't meet that minimum requirement. So I just think you're going to see a very fast athletic defense with 
He's going to accumulate athletes and try to develop them. I think we actually have a staff that can develop guys, develop talented athletes into solid football, solid fundamentally sound football players. Based on what I know from the way Matt Rule likes to run the offense, he likes to run behind the power run game. <clears throat> we have a few linemen that really just don't fit that bill. Uh, Greg Little did very, very, very little power run at Ole Miss. Um, he showed, you know, glimpses in the season where he does not, he's not the best run blocker in the world. So, you know, he's somebody that you might want to still continue to develop. But I wouldn't be surprised if you go out and get you a, a Wirfs or a Thomas or, you know, like a blue chip tackle because you really want to get that power run game going. Everybody on that offensive line is going to have to be athletic. They're going to have to be able to get to the second level. And they're going to have to be able to move guys off the ball if you're talking about a power run game. So I definitely expect the offensive line to be addressed. Me me personally, I would like to get that addressed early, you know, round one or two. But we'll see. Like, I, I agree I agree with Bill. I agree with Will. Go BPA. Whether it's, whether it's a defensive lineman or offensive lineman, definitely the trenches, I think Matt Rule will agree that it has to be addressed right away. Mm. So I expect – either offensive lineman or a defensive lineman to come off the board between round one and two. Mm. You know, that's just how I see it. Being that, you know, you brought up, Will, you brought up athleticism in the corner from Ohio State. He would be in play, too, because he seems to meet those standards. You know, he's he's big, he's tall, he's long, but he's also fast. You know, he can run with anybody. So at that number seven pick, I just expect no matter what position it's going to be, the best, the best athlete is going to come off the board. That's guaranteed. Mm. Right on, man. Kev? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, being a <laughs> being a trench guy like Larry, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all about the trenches. I mean, me personally, if if we invested this whole draft on on Lyman, I, I wouldn't be mad because that's just how that's just how many holes me and Larry have have watched and seen on film. You know, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm in one pleading and everybody to give you know Paradise a break as far as you know because he wasn't able to you know fully work out and things like that this past all season why he looked so bad even though. Uh, Will pointed out that the last four weeks of the season, he started making significant progress. So that could be something, you know, to build forward to. But, you know, overall with his age, I think he's going to be like 29, if, if not 30. Uh, I'm not sure. It's definitely um, definitely time to invest in, in, in seeing who else could be out there as far as, uh, you know, the center for the next, you know, 10 years. Like we got out of Ron Khalil, you know, uh, we could lose Greg Van Roten at left guard. And we all seen that, you know, when Trey Turner get nicked up, how much the guard guard players affected at right guard. Um, Moten seemed to have regressed in year three. And it was just a revolving door at left tackle between Daryl Williams, uh, Greg Little, and Dennis Daly. So uh, I, I just think that um, – I hear what you guys are saying as far as like best athletic and all that. I I really do like the cornerback. Uh, you know, yeah, I was talking about from Ohio State um, and uh, and the linebacker. I think from Clemson. I I get all of that. Just me is just it's just seeing that how our offensive line and defensive line just took turns getting us blowed up 
on both sides repeatedly more so than anything else. I just really feel like that, you know, rounds one and two should should be committed to um, the best player available at a position need. Obviously, we don't want to stretch or reach for anyone. Uh, but, um, you know, I, it's just, I, I just, I, them trenches are just ugly for me. And, I, and, I, and we can't win no games and we can't get our skilled players to produce productive, you know, behind the lines. We got to think about it. Chris McCaffrey did what he did behind, I think, what was the 27th um, offensive line ranking, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, one of you guys, you know, can verify that the final rankings came out. Uh, yeah, but I thought that's what I saw. So think what we can do with an approved, what McCaffrey can do behind a, an improved offensive line. Uh, offensive line that can execute power run blocking schemes, which is something that Matt Rule likes likes to do. And uh, just think about how, you know, Shaq Thompson and Luke Keekley can, you know, even though they had solid, strong numbers this season, but just think what they can do if they got defensive linemen that can occupy all five blockers more than what they've had. So I just, I just think the best of the team will come if the interior on the offensive and defensive line is addressed early and often in the draft. Yeah. I think as far as drafting linemen early, think about like um, outside of maybe your worst and Andrew Thomas, you're going to end up, you're going to end up with a better player than Greg Little or Dennis Daly. That's a plug in play and can come in and take Trey Turner's reps, take, Taylor Moten's reps take Matt Parody's reps, take Greg Van Roten reps, or even take Greg Little or Daly's reps on day one in training camp. And I think that's where, you know, drafting for need comes back to drafting for immediate need comes back to bite you sometimes. Andrew Thomas, absolutely. He's a day one plug and play starter. Tristan Wirfs may be the same as well. I think he's a right tackler, can play both right and left tackle from Iowa. And then you got Jedrick Willis from Alabama, highly regarded offensive lineman. And then you have, um, I don't know if Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma, the interior lineman, is declared yet. And you got Bia Daz from Wisconsin, who's going to be probably too um, high at seven to take him. But those are just the kind of things that make it challenging to build your team uh, through the draft immediately like that. Are you going to get a day one plug-and-play starter that can – be, you know, a serviceable offensive lineman, or is he going to go through growing pains like Greg Little did, like Dennis Daly did, and you're just going to be back to square one. So I think that's why I say I think you got to just stick to your board and take the best player available because I think reaching for an old lineman that's not ready to play on day one can come back to bite you if he's not ready to play on week one of the season. The way I see it, I'll try to narrow it down a little bit more. If it's not worth this touch, or if it's not Derek Brown at pick seven, we can look at the big, the, the best player available. Those are the three guys that I see in round one that are in reach for us that we can actually go ahead and get in their plug and play. If you go to the round two, you know, you mentioned one of them already from uh, Wisconsin is Biedas. He's a guy that I would like to have for the interior that can come in and make a difference right away. Also, my favorite interior guy is the center from Washington, uh, Nick Harris. If you can get him in round two, that's definitely a day one difference maker that can come and start right away. But if you're not looking at names like that in round one and two, you can probably go ahead and look and just get the best player available. If that's a safety, whether it's a, a safety. I know guys like uh, the corner from Ohio State. I know guys like uh, 
Judy from the receiver from Alabama or whatever. Like, if you, if you can't get one of those big names as far as the offensive line and defensive line go, go ahead and go BPA. But honestly, if any of those names I mentioned are available in round one or two, you just got to go out and get those guys. Like, we, we really, really, really have to have an overhaul of trenches. Uh, my favorite trench guy that I've been watching this offseason is Lecky Foto from Utah. As of right now, he's you know he's projected around three to four, but I pretty much can confirm once this combine, senior bowl, all that stuff happens, he's gonna climb boards. Cause one thing that he does well is he he takes on double teams. He's a space eater. He's six five, three hundred and thirty five pounds, and he's athletic. He can make plays in the backfield. That's somebody that's gonna make Luke Luke Keekley's job easier. That's the biggest name that I've been looking at in the mid rounds. This offseason, as it just started, we just got to get big guys, man. I, I don't want to make it sound simple like that, but when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, we have to have guys that can keep our linebackers clean. It fits what we want to do. It fits the way Rule actually is used to used to working. If you look at his, his, his past defense this year, I mentioned a guy earlier. His last name is Roy, but he's 6'1", 333 pounds. He immediately resets the line of scrimmage. If you watch a little bit of film on him, he's a real deal when it comes to having a true nose tackle. We had the worst run defense in the league, and a lot of people think it's a lot of problems or whatever. It just really come down to our interior guys, in my opinion. That nose tackle position was not addressed properly. I know Poe was supposed to be that, but he's clearly not the same player he used to be. I definitely expect whether it's round one, two, Three through seven, we're going to get a space eater. We got to go get somebody that's 330 pounds or better, that's going to take on double teams, reset the line of scrimmage, get penetration, that kind of stuff we definitely need to have. So just like Kevin has said, man, this draft to me, I wouldn't care if all seven picks were interior, offensive, and defensive linemen. That's just how I feel. But as far as the left tackle position go, Greg Little, he was a, a project. Herney traded up for a project. I just I don't agree with that. I don't believe mm-hmm. in trading up in the draft to get somebody that is far away from being a day one difference maker. And that's what Greg Little was to me. So I know they say you can set your franchise back when you draft the same position early and back-to-back drafts. But listen, a guy like Andrew Thomas is out there at pick seven, you got to go get him over everybody else. Well, Andrew Thomas, I think, is generational at that left tackle position. So... I mean, if he draws the seven, poor six teams, I mean, they let him fall to us, it's over. Hmm. I think he's probably the best left tackle prospects. I mean, I don't know. When Let's think back. When's the last time you've seen a left tackle prospect this polish coming out in the draft? Orlando Pace. <laughs> we got to go that far. But, <laughs> it's but, been a while, you know man. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I think – I mean, I have a hard time following. I mean, he's definitely probably – a top three player on the entire draft to me. So if he falls to seven, maybe some quarterbacks go in front of us that let him slip. I'd love that. But, yeah, yeah. you know, I just think I just can't see six GMs saying, no, nah, I don't want this guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't see that. Yeah. The farthest I can think back is probably the left tackle that uh, I think I think the Titans may have got him, but his last name is Fisher. He got drafted in 2013. Oh, yeah. He didn't play necessarily. He didn't play necessarily bad. I think he just actually made a Pro Bowl this year. But you're talking about when it comes to the left tackle position. If you got a generational player, you really don't have a choice, man. You just got to go out and get that guy. Mm-hmm. 
I think the last guy, I've, and y'all can let me know if I'm giving him too much prop, the uh, the one the Cowboys got was a Tyron Smith. Would you consider him an elite left tackle coming out of school? Yeah, he was a right tackle. He was a right tackle. Remember Matt Khalil? Matt Khalil started at left tackle for USC. And Tyron Smith was the right tackle. That's why it's so funny because they turned pro. Tyron Smith's an elite left tackle, and Matt Khalil didn't live up to that top five pick status. Oh, the irony. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that's definitely, but as far as me, a dream scenario for me, it, and, and I know Larry's talking about once, you know, these um, bowl games and combine, you know, how Leaky Fotu could jump up, but if you want to talk about a slam dunk draft, and, and, and I hate these mock drafts because they tease me with possibilities, but it's been several times I was able to get Derrick Brown with the first round, uh, Beardass in the second round, and Lakey Fotu in the uh, in the third round. My God, if we could, if we got those, we've won the NFL draft. I, I don't care what anybody else does. Um, you know that that right there would would set our trenches up on on a proper on a proper bill for for years to come. And even if he does shoot up the draft. I wouldn't mind it going back to 2013 when we went back to back with Star and KK. Look how well that turned out. Mm-hmm. You know, you get us mm-hmm. a Dare Brown and a Leaky Fotu, you know, what picks one and two. I, again, I, hey, I'll, I'll walk away, you know what I'm saying, feeling extremely happy uh, with those results. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I get, you know, like I say, you can set yourself back. But, like I say, unless it's generational or. Like I say, day one immediate talent. You know, you, you definitely got to go best player available. But uh, it's um, it's, it's some game changers. That's um, that by us being this high up in the draft at, at, at the top of each round. Because you know, for those who don't know, rounds two, three, four, five, six, and seven, uh, we rotate. So we're not always picking seventh in each round. Uh, I believe we can we rotate up as to as high as fourth. In a round, so we, you know, if we decide to just stick with our seven picks um, and just, you know, acquire talent that way, uh, we're going to be in a position to get, you know, good talent. Because one thing that's crazy about the NFL draft, as much sense as we make it why a team should pick this player, we know teams would do some goofball things and just have you scratching like they did what? You know, think back to Cleveland a couple of years ago. You know, instead of dropping, drafting, um, Saquon Barkley first and then still getting Baker Mayfield, they got Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward. I mean, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, you had a chance to possibly got your franchise quarterback and running back with your top four picks. And, uh, well, we've seen how this turned out in Cleveland, so I'm going to leave it at that. Man, to be honest with you, your draft, like anything that you mentioned, you immediately change your, your direction from a rebuild to just a retool. Like, those kind of positions, look, uh, premier left tackle, premier interior defensive lineman, if you can, it's like, those are our core problems. I think everybody can agree. It's the offensive line, being able to protect the quarterback, and our defensive line, being able to stop the run. If with those first three or four picks, you can address that right away, you go from a rebuild to a retool. You still might, you might be looking at trying to compete for a wild card instead of just low expectations like a 7-9 or 8-8. That's how imperative the draft can be sometime, man. Yeah, man. I guess because uh, I think a healthy cam is good. Can I can, can I say a, a healthy cam 
it's good to get you at least four wins by himself every year. Mm, yeah. yeah. He'll get you four. McCaffrey will get you three. That's seven right there. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, yeah. hey, I, again, my expectation's low, but, you know, now that we got a coach and we kind of, you know, done reveal some information of what he kind of likes to do and, you know, you know, with, with Cam's health coming up in March with the free agency with Bradbury, I mean, if, if – if things fall into place, you know we could be we could be a, a fun team to watch in 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 twenty twenty, and uh, give people a, a sneak preview of this new era that uh, mediocrity is it no longer will will live at um, on Mint Street in Charlotte, North Carolina. So um, again, not to get in one too hype, but if we do this off season right, this this uh, the part the fun for us can. Probably start a little bit earlier than what it may seem like right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, like like Tim like to say, stay tuned, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> we got our HC though, so we 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 know that yeah, everything else is going to flow from there, folks. You just gotta, you know, just just stay tuned. Make sure you're uh, checking out our website and our Facebook page and all our social media platforms. We'll keep you in tune with what's going on. Um, but yeah, um, we have, we have apparently a, a damn good, uh, potentially a damn good head, uh, head coach coming in there that's going to, to, uh, it's going to shake things up a little bit in a good way, in a good way. Um, closing remarks, gentlemen. Yeah. I mean, if Matt rule going to start hanging out in the QC, he got to get rid of that smock and he got to. <laughs> Have a little bit more uh, 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 swag on that yeah, sideline. I, I, I can't be having a coach walking around sideline with nah, that smock bro. on. Yeah, coming that drip, homeboy. Maybe you got, you got Cam need to go take him to his closet and get him a new wardrobe because he got to retire that. That's that, that's that Waco, Texas stuff, though. We don't yeah, do that in the nah, 704. Bro. You got to come with that drip because yeah, <laughs> you got to come correct, man. got to look saucy. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, we gave you everything that we uh, have have on deck right now, folks. And uh, like I said, you know, check out our uh, webpage at uh, thefourmanrush.com. That's www.thefourmanrush.com. Um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, TikTok, and YouTube. And uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll keep you up to date. That's for darn sure. Um, as soon as we found out about this information, man, we we were all over the chatter feed, man. Well, we're all over the chatter feed anyway. We're constantly communicating about Panther football so that's, and other things, but we're not getting all that. <laughs> oh, man. So, hey, thank you guys for uh, checking us out. Um, we love that you are uh, engaging our uh, our content, and um, you guys keep us motivated to give you uh, the best Panther news and, and media coverage that, that we could possibly do that's not affiliated, well, not directly affiliated with the uh, Carolina Panther organization so thank you appreciate it man um on behalf of uh, myself timmy vio kevin will and larry um i hope you guys are having a good evening whether you're listening to this podcast in the morning afternoon or in the nighttime and uh, be safe um hug your children hug your, hug your wife hug, hug your husband and pet your dog <laughs> it's gonna be all right since season's over you know catch some acc basketball um you know check out the playoffs and um, we'll uh, we'll check you next time. Um, thanks again, guys, and as always, keep pounding.
Speaking of playoffs, how do we go a whole hour show and forget to clown the eights? <laughs> I hate talking about them sons of bitches when they're still playing. <laughs> They ain't even hey, do man, no soft talk on them eights. Dude, yeah, you people call me Casey for picking them damn bikes. <laughs> yeah, bro, I didn't think they was going to do it, bro. I didn't think they was going to pull it out, bro. <clears throat> hey, at least send some shots. Fire some, send some shots. I'll tell you what, though, it ain't, right. it ain't going to matter, bro. Your, your boy in Seattle is balling right now, bro. Big, big Metcalf, big ass. Man, they told me he couldn't because his agility drills with times was too slow. Shit. Like, man, he can bigger, faster, and stronger than the guy that's covering him. Just run him Period. on deep routes. That's all he was doing. <laughs> but, hey, all right, run, run this nine route. I'm going to find you. <laughs> run the nine. I got you. Yep. All right. <laughs> all right. You can't even jam this dude, bro. He's just like, move, nigga. Hey, real quick, fellas. Hey, uh, I was mentioning this to uh, Tim, so I just want to mention you guys. She love it, we are in public and we can just chill with my partners and we can go back to my crib and just chill the covers and do we The Form and Rush is brought to you by the love and respect of and for the Carolina Panthers and Carolina Panther fans everywhere. Keep pounding. The Four Men Rush is a non-affiliate of the Carolina Panther organization. All thoughts, assessments, and content of this podcast is directly related to the Four Men Rush exclusively. Thank you.